Listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. some spring pretty dresses on wow well okay boys you don't have spring pretty dresses on I'm talking to these three right here you're right well that's okay all right I got a question for you this morning what was the happiest day of your life when you were born the day you were saved? Okay. What's the happiest day that you've had in your life so far? Last night. Okay. Well, my two happiest days, I've got two so far, and I'm getting ready to have a third, was when Emma and Jenna were born. And then my next one, I bet, is going to be when this one's born. Those are some pretty happy times. I got to hold my girls for the first time. I got to see their sweet little faces. And man, there is nothing that fills a woman's heart than looking at her tiny little newborn until they start crying. But it's okay. So what kind of things would make a happy day? Sunshine, yeah. Swimming. Taking a nap, playing in the snow, gummy bears. Okay, so we got some different things that make the happiest days, right? Would it have been good? Some days we don't want those happy days to end, right? I would have loved to just held my newborn babies for the rest of my life. But would it have been good for those days, those two days when Emma and Jenna was born, would it have been good for those days to never end? No, because I would have missed tons of other days that were happy, right? I would have missed getting to see them take their first step, say their first words, give me their first hug, 
all of those are happy days too, right? No, I don't care. But that's, if we take our happiest day and it never ends, we never get to see other happy days, right? So maybe a happy day is not a stopping point, but a starting point. Did you know that Jesus had a day that was a happy day for him? One of the happiest days? Luke says he didn't want this day to end, and the disciples didn't either. So Luke 9, 28 through 33 says, About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, James, and John and went up on a mountain to pray. While Jesus was praying, his face was changed, his clothes became shining white. Then two men were talking with Jesus. The men were Moses and Elijah. Now Moses and Elijah were already dead. Jesus was talking to them. They appeared in heavenly glory talking with Jesus about his, about his death, which would happen in Jerusalem. Peter and the others were asleep, but they woke up and saw the glory of Jesus standing, sorry, woke up and saw the glory of Jesus. They also saw the two men who were standing with them. When Moses and Elijah were about to leave, Peter said, Master, it is good that we are here. We will put three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what he was saying. Peter didn't want that moment to end. He wanted to stay in that heavenly glory amongst Jesus and Elijah and Moses forever. But do you know what was getting ready to happen right after this moment? Jesus, not very far along, was going to be hung on the cross to die for our sins. So had they never left that mountaintop, that exciting day, we would not have salvation. So sometimes our happiest days, which Jesus was spending with Moses and Elijah, and the disciples got to see Jesus in all of his glory, that day had to come to an end so that our happiest day, when we received Christ as our Savior, could have happened. Jesus had to come down off that top mountaintop to a valley. His hardest day when he was separated on the cross from his father to become our saviors. So God gives us lots of happy days that sometimes we have to endure bad days to follow. But what we have to remember are those happy days gets us through and that we have to thank God that those happy days are our starting point, not the stopping point. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the happy times that you give us, Lord, for the joy that you bring to our lives, Lord. We just pray that we will continue to see those days as um, days to start upon your journey, Lord. The happiest day should be when we receive Jesus as our Savior, Lord, and that journey is just beginning to an eternal life with you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name.
Thank you, Ashley. That was very, very good. That was probably one of the most theologically rich children's lessons I've ever, I've ever heard. That was really good. A lot of good points. A lot of points there we should take home to think about that. Never really put to, never really thought about some of those things. Some good, good points there. Today uh, we are, uh, we're actually about to conclude our series on mere Christianity. In fact, uh, the next message is going to be a segue into our new, our new series uh, on the church. We're going to take a few weeks to look at uh, what the church is, what's the mission of the church, uh, what's, the church what's this church business all about. And so uh, it's, it, this next message next week as we talk about uh, the mission of the church is going to be a segue into our new series. So we're just about wrapped up uh, with the series in Mere Christianity. This week, next week will be the official end uh, to the series, and I hope you've gotten a lot out of this series as we looked at the core fundamentals of the Christian faith. And we've, seen, we've already seen eight important doctrines, and today we're going to look at another important doctrine I think is, uh, is very important for us Christians to have down, to have a solid grasp on, and we're going to talk about the Scripture, God's Holy Word. In our series thus far, we've seen in our first message that God is one, He is exclusive. Uh, he is eternal, He is transcendent beyond the scope of creation, He is personal working within creation. We've also noted that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human in his, in his identity. If you take either of those aspects away uh, from the person of Jesus, then you have eliminated not only the Jesus of the Bible, but also the Jesus of history as well. We've seen in the third message that Jesus' incarnation was essential to allow for his atonement. Also, number four, Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead on the first Easter Sunday, uh, and, and we've, we've mentioned the fact that he was seen by over 500 people at one time, uh, seen by people over a course of 40 days. It's hard to fake something like that, isn't it, uh, it for, for several people to see that over a period of time. Uh, we also see that the one God is made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the gospel tells us that Christ died to save people from their sins, and it, this is rooted in the love of God. Jesus will return, we have also noted in the seventh message, to gather his people. Number eight, uh, we saw last week that there is an eternal heaven that exists for those found in the Lamb's book of life and an eternal, an eternal hell for those who are not found in it. Today we are going to look at something that's also critical for us as Christians to accept, and that is that the Bible we have before us, that it is God's word given to us, that it is God's revealed truth given to us. Uh, all 66 books written by over 40 individuals over the course of 2,500 years, it's amazing that there's still unity, excuse me, still unity in this book, and it only comes by and through the power of God. So we want to encourage you to turn to the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to go back and read, start reading from verse 10 all the way through chapter 4, verse 5. And we encourage you to please stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 5. <coughs> Timothy is a, a young man, a young pastor, young person in the ministry, and uh, Paul is giving him information. He's passing along information. He's writing this letter most likely 
In A.D. 63, he's in a jail cell. He knows his ministry is quickly coming to an end. So he's passing on pastoral advice to young Timothy uh, for him to continue to carry on the word, to preach the word uh, to those who are lost. He says in verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 16 is our key central point that we're going to discuss today. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word is theonoustos. Theos meaning God, pneumos meaning spirit. It means God breathed. God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word. Boy, this is, this is fundamental for us today. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Boy, is this true today. Amen? Isn't this true in our society today? But you be watchful in all these things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Your kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power that you've given to it. We just simply ask this morning that you allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and all, we ask, we just ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Sometimes people will say, well, God is so big and we are so small. How can we know anything about God? How can we really truthfully know anything there is to know? Well, it reminds me of, uh, of a story of a young girl. Uh, this, there was a kindergarten teacher who was walking around, and she had given her, her kids an assignment to, write, uh, to uh, draw a picture of someone whom had uh, made a big impact in their life. And many individuals were drawing um, pictures of their mothers and fathers and different individuals, grandmothers, grandfathers. Well, one little girl was drawing a picture. And the teacher asked her, who are you drawing? And she says, I'm drawing God. And she said, honey, no one knows what God looks like. And the little girl says, well, they will here in a few minutes. <laughs> Francis, was that you? Did you do that? <laughs> Well, anyhow, uh, people often ask the question, how can we know anything about God? Well, here's the point. By our own selves, we can't. 
But if God has revealed certain truths to us, then he lets us know information about himself. He lets us know things about himself. And that is exactly what we find in the word of God. If the evidence corresponds and, 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 and relates to the things that actually happen in the word of God, then we know that this is a true book. If, if God has really done the miracles that the Bible tells us that he has done, we know that this is a true book. And beloved, I would submit to you today that there is more information proving that Jesus rose from the dead than any other ancient historical event ever, ever presented. And that's the wonderful news. If Jesus has really raised from the dead, if the evidence really backs up this book, then we know that we know that we know that this is God's holy word. And beloved, that God has spoken to humanity, that he has revealed himself to humanity, and that he has given us the plan of salvation, the pathway of salvation. And because if this is true, then all the other doctrines we've discussed, we know to be true as well. So what can we know about the scripture? I think there are three things that we can know about the scripture today. There are the three eyes of, uh, of scripture. Now, not all, everybody accepts the third one, but I do. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about that. Number one, the fundamental of Scripture's inspiration. That the Scriptures have been inspired by God. What that means is God has breathed the breath of life upon uh, the individuals, the over 40 plus individuals who have written these different books in the Bible, that God has breathed the, uh, upon them, that has instructed and guided their writing to give us the word that we have today. Look what Paul says in verse 16. All scripture. Now he is relating primarily to the Old Testament. But he's also, we find in several passages of scripture, that the New Testament writers refer to the other documents of the New Testament as scripture as well. And Peter, if you, if you recall in one of his letters, talks about uh, the writings of Paul and how they're kind of difficult to understand. But he refers to them being scripture. Paul actually quotes the teaching of Jesus as presented in Luke's gospel as scripture as well. So what we find here is that all scripture includes the Old Testament as well, 49 books, and the New Testament, 27 books, to make the 66 books that we find in God's holy word, the Bible. He says all, pantographe, which means scripture, is given by the theonoustos, the inspiration, God's breath. God has breathed upon these books and so we find two things relating to the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. Number one, we see that they're inspired by God's direction. Thomas Leah and Haynes Griffin write that the idea the term presents is that God has breathed his character into Scripture so that it inherently in, is inherently inspired. Paul was not asserting that the Scriptures are inspiring and that they breathe information about God into us, even though they do. The scriptures owe their origin and distinctiveness to God himself. This is the abiding character of scripture. The reason scripture is true is that because God has given us his scripture. And beloved, there are certain things we know that must absolutely be true about God. We know he must absolutely be eternal. Uh, he is the answer for the reason we have anything that exists today. But we also find that he is the absolute good. Uh, the Bible says that he is holy, holy, holy. He is the absolute perfection. The Bible also tells us in Titus 1-2 that it is impossible for God to lie. The writer of Hebrews tells us that there are two things that's impossible. God cannot swear by a name higher than himself. 
Because there is no name higher than the name of God. And God cannot lie. So if God has inspired these writers to write down these things, if he has inspired the words we find in Scripture, they are true. Amen? They must be true. Because if they come from God and he cannot lie, then we have an accurate text in God's holy word. So if Scripture originates with God, then it is inspired. It is accurate in what it tells us. And this, this lets us know two things. One, that we can know certain things about God. Why? Is it because we're so smart? Absolutely not. The reason we can know anything about God is because he's told us that information. Amen? He has presented himself to humanity. He has told us about his character. He has told us about who he is and what he is. He's told Moses at the burning bush, I am what I am, which means the personal name of God, Yahweh, which means the self-existent one. He, he exists by his own accord, but everything else exists because of him. If you have a God like that revealing himself to humanity, then there are certain things we know about him but let's be honest, the Bible also relates to us that there are th certain things that we'll never know about God. You know why? Because we're not God. <laughs> we're not God. The book of Job even presents this information. And boy, we could just camp out here for a long time. book of Job, uh, we see Job was a righteous man. And all these bad things came upon him. And he's wondering, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And God's answer was kind of mysterious. Because God comes back through the whirlwind, speaks to Job and says, Job, were you there when I created everything that exists? Do you know about all the intricate details about all how everything works? His words just are this, this. Just trust me, Job. I have a plan for your life. Everything's going to work out just fine. Just trust me. Now, if you're a person like me, according to Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ, which means I, am not, I have the spontaneity of a rock. Uh, I, that doesn't do, do well for someone like me. I want to know the plan. I want to know the details. But God just says to Job, you have to trust me. And I think that's the same thing we find in Scripture. He doesn't give us every detail, every answer, but he gives us the big picture information. And that's what we find in Scripture. But we also see that it's inspired by God's remembrance. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, you've probably had this experience as well. It's an amazing thing to me that if I'm going through a difficulty in life, if, I'm, if I've got a problem and I, just, and I pray to the Lord for help and encouragement, have you ever had a situation to happen where God pops a verse, a scripture in your mind, and you, and you think, at least it happens to me, I don't remember memorizing that how is that 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 scripture came to my mind I don't I remember reading it but I don't remember memorizing that how is it that it comes about in my mind that's the Holy Spirit of God the Holy Spirit of God brings us brings us into remembrance of the things that Jesus has said the things that we find in God's holy word he inspires us at the right moment he encourages us at the right moment that's the power of Almighty God Jesus says in John 16, 13, and 14 that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And here's the point I'm trying to make today. If God can do that for us today, don't you think he could have done it for the 40-plus individuals he chose to write the Holy Scriptures that we have in the collection known as the Bible? 
Absolutely. If God can bring into remembrance things we haven't even memorized or committed to memory, certainly it's within the Holy Spirit's power to bring back to remembrance those things which needed to be placed into God's holy word. You know, I pray before every message. God, give us the words we need to hear. Hold back any words we don't need to hear. And I believe that's what happened with God's holy word. He inspired the writers to, to, to document, to write down the things that were needed for all of humanity. Things that have transcended time itself, God's holy word. Number two, we see the fundamental of the scripture's infallibility. What this means is that the things, if this comes from God, if the scriptures are inspired, they come from God, then the things they tell us about God must be absolutely true. Amen? If, if this comes from God, if this book comes from God, if from Genesis all the way to Revelation, then what that means is that the documented things we find in the 66 books of this uh, collection we know is the Bible, they must be true in what they tell us about God. Because if God has inspired it, then they must be true. Now look at verse 16. He says, all scripture is inspired by inspiration or is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Why is it profitable for doctrine? Because God has revealed these truths to us about himself. They don't come from our ingenuity. They don't come from our imagination. They come from God. God has revealed these things to us, to humanity. And look what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says to Timothy, I charge you therefore, because this is profitable for doctrine, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who God will judge the living and the dead at his appearing at his kingdom, to simply, three words, preach the word. You don't want to know how we can minister to the next generation? Preach the word. Amen? Preach the word. I think so many times, don't get me wrong, I believe understanding generational changes and I understand that we have to use and employ different methods to reach different people. Paul did this in the book of Acts. You'll see that as we go through the book of Acts. He spoke differently to the Athenians than he did those in Jerusalem. I understand all that. But I think we get so worried and amped up about all the statistics that we lose focus on the power of God. Amen? Preach the word. That's what people need. They don't need a new plan. They don't need a a new uh, 12-step plan to to do this or that. They simply need to hear the Word of God. Amen? Reminds me, I wasn't even planning on saying this. This goes back to the remembrance aspect we were talking about here. At Fruitland Baptist Bible College, I never will forget Dr. Randy Kilby. He said in a message, in fact, he died after preaching this message. He had a massive heart attack up in Lenore, North Carolina when he was preaching a revival just a wonderful man of God. Died about 43, I think it was. He said, we are so concerned about the, the needs of this generation and the needs of that generation. He said, praise God, you don't know what their needs are. Just preach the word. God knows what those needs are. We just need to preach the word because his truths have transcended time and we must continue to rely upon the word of God. Understand, it is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for doctrine because God's word originates from him. Therefore, we can know what we need to know about God because he has revealed it to humanity. Number two, it's infallible indeed. Look what he says also in verse 16. 
It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If this comes from God, then not only the things that it tells us about the character of God is true, but the things it tells us and how we should live are also true. Amen? The ethical standard of the Bible, in stark contrast to what society tells us, does not change. Amen? Amen? The ethical standard of Jesus is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's still just as true. Boy, I'm telling you, this is difficult. Man, I tell you, it's difficult. I'm half Irish, so it's definitely difficult for me. Pray for your enemies. Boy, that's tough. Being a half Irishman, that's definitely tough. (laughs) Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who do bad to you. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, that's a difficult thing. But it still holds true. Amen? It still holds true today as it did 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us that it's, that it's good for correction. Uh, Newt Larson says in his commentary that rebuking points out sin and confronts disobedience. Correcting recognizes that a person has strayed from the truth. Graciously, lovingly, yet firmly, we should try to guide the errant individual back into obedience. Why? Because Scripture is infallible in what it tells us. Its ethical standards are just as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. And so, beloved, people have tried, so many times they have tried to change the, uh, to change the message of Scripture. They've tried so many times in changing the ethical standards that God has given us. But understand this, we can't change it. And what we end up finding all along is we come back to the point and saying, you know what? God had that right all along. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that's what I found in my life. One of the reasons I believe that God's word is what it is isn't because I wish it to be true. It's because of the ethical standards given in here time and time and time again comes up showing itself to be true. This shows us that God's spirit is all over this book. God's spirit was all over the writers writing this book. The, the, the ultimate fundamental truth we find in the scripture is that of the love of God and that we are to love one another. You don't find that in every worldview, beloved. You just don't. Honestly, if you, if you study other worldviews and other world religions, you don't find that in every, in every worldview, in every world religion. But you find it in God's word, the standard, the ethic that we are, the two great commandments even, to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, if we could all learn how to do that, this world would be a much better place. Amen? This world would be a much better place. Number three, not everyone holds to this anymore, but I certainly do. The more I've studied God's word, the more I'm certain of this, is the fundamental of the scripture's inerrancy. That it's absolutely true in the data that it presents to us. Not everybody accepts this anymore, but I believe it is. Because I've, done, I've seen too much research. I've seen too many times that the Bible has come up true even when skeptics deny certain things about the Bible. I, I am proudly a, 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 a person who has signed the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Uh, if you want to know about that, you can go online and check it out. But it's to say that the Bible is absolutely true 
in the autographs that is absolutely true in what it says and the data that it presents. And I believe that. Amen? I believe that it's absolutely true in what it tells us. I believe we can see this by three different ways. Number one, it's inerrant by origin. This kind of goes back to what we were saying before, that God's Spirit has inspired these scriptures. And look in verse 14, you must continue, Paul says, in the things which you have learned and be assured of, knowing that from whom you've learned them. And he goes on down in verse 15 to say, which, uh, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The origin is from God. So if it's from God, we can know that he's not going to lie to us. He's not going to lie to us. Now, I understand firmly that there are different genres in the Bible. When Revelation says that Jesus has seven eyes and seven horns, that's not meant to be literal. Amen? That's symbolic, representing that he has perfect wisdom and that he has perfect strength. That's what he's saying. But when it comes to the historical narrative, he's, what the Bible tells us has come up true every single time. For instance, in the early 1800s, there was a uh, push by liberal theologians by, like Rudolf Bultmann and many others to try to demythologize the Bible. It means to take out all the miracles of the Bible, cast it away, and just focus on, just focus on the teachings of Jesus. But, but here's the problem. In John's gospel, they didn't like John's gospel because John talks a lot about salvation through faith, through Christ Jesus, talked a lot about the miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead. They didn't like that. And so they tried, to, um, they tried to demonstrate and prove that John really wasn't written in the first century, that it must be some type of forgery. And so they went to John chapter 5. If you turn to John chapter 5, you're going to see a story in there about how Jesus comes down to a pool of Bethesda. And at this pool of Bethesda, there are five colonnades. And there you see that he heals this man who was lame. He was unable to pull himself into this pool of water, which was believed to have healing powers. And so these, uh, these liberal theologians like Rudolf Bultmann and others says, there's no pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. There's nothing like that in Jerusalem. There's no evidence of anything having five colonnades. There's no evidence of anything like that whatsoever. So they were saying, all of them were saying, that John must be a forgery, a second century forgery that didn't belong in the New Testament. Well, that was until the late 1800s. There was an archaeological expedition that was looking for something else and I believe this is, has God's fingerprints all over it. They started digging, and they found a pool. And they started digging a little deeper, and they think, wait a minute. They flipped back over to John's gospel, and guess what they found? The pool of Bethesda. And guess how many colonnades it had? Five, just exactly as John had wrote in his gospel. So and now, what, what they find in, uh, in scholarly works now, even some of the more liberal writers are saying, John must have been a lot earlier than what we expected. They're even saying that he's earlier than what even the conservatives are saying anymore. That's the power of God's word. Jesus has inspired this. He says, you are my friends. Love one another. And through this, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to inspire us, bring to remembrance, and use us for God's glory as he chose us. Beloved, we can trust what the Bible says. And this is just one story of many I could bring to you this morning of how God's word has stood the test of time.
Let me give you another one real quickly. I'm running out of time, but I want to give you one more because this is absolutely fantastic. Voltaire, I believe he was in the 1700s if I'm not mistaken. Voltaire went on record to say that in a hundred years, the Bible will be no more. No one will ever read the Bible any longer. The Bible will be just passed off as a myth. No one will ever read it. Voltaire died, and a hundred years later, guess what his house was used for? It was purchased by an international Bible society that was using his house to, to uh, make copies of God's Word and to distribute it uh, throughout the world. I don't know about you, but I believe God has a little sense of humor, don't you? Voltaire says the Bible is a myth, that it is no more. In a hundred years, it'll be gone. And God eventually used his own home to be the distribution center of God's holy word. It's inerrant by origin. It's also inerrant by continuity. In verse 15, he tells Timothy to remember these things that you have been taught. Beloved, we have the word of God that has been passed on from generation to generation, starting and originating with the teachings of Jesus. We don't have time to go through all of this. In fact, I I may try to post this on the website here very soon because it's really good. There are three chains that we can follow historically uh, from the Apostle John. He taught a guy by the name of Ignatius uh, and uh, and another guy by the name of Polycarp. These guys trained individuals like Irenaeus who lived in the mid-100s. You can follow the chain of command with John all the way back close to the 300s. Uh, where we have completed texts of the New Testament. Next, consider Paul. Paul, He did the same thing, uh, training Luke and Linus and Clement of Rome. You can follow that chain all the way back uh, close to the 200s. And the Apostle Peter, this is interesting. You, You follow the chain of command as he taught John Mark and many, many others. And like I said, we don't have time to go through all of it. I'll have to post it online. But you can follow the chain of command all the way back to the 300s where we have completed texts of the New Testament. All that is to say, beloved, we have an accurate Bible. In fact, scholars have said if you include all the quotations of the Scripture, if you include all the manuscripts that have been found, which are over 24,000, and you can put it all together, we can know what was in the Word of God to a degree of the New Testament, to a degree of 99% certainty. 99% certainty. This isn't even conservative saying this. The, New Te- the Old Testament is 95. You average those things together, the entire Bible, we can know what were in the originals to a degree of 97%. Let me ask you this. If you had a disease and the doctor came to you and said, we have a treatment for you that's 97% certain to work, would you take it? I would. I'd take that risk 97%. 97%. So we have an accurate word. And then also in verse 15, we see that it's inerrant by the empowerment of God, inerrant by the empowerment of Jesus Christ. The whole central theme, this is absolutely amazing to me, 66 books, 40 authors, written over 2,500 years, yet there are central themes that you find throughout the entire text. Now, let's be honest. Can we be honest? It's hard to find two Baptists who will agree on anything. Amen? (laughs) Amen, Francis? (laughs) I better quit picking on her. She got sick and she said she's going to kill me, so I'm I'm, I'm running a risk here. (laughs) But nonetheless, I mean, I'm a Baptist, and half the time I don't even agree with myself. 
How is it you can find 40 people over the course of 2,500 years who, who present the same themes? And you know what the most amazing theme in all the Bible is? The saving work of God. That God is a saving God. That he is concerned about the condition of humanity. He created us. We fail. We fail from God's grace. He's established a covenant through Jesus Christ to bring us through sal to salvation. And beloved, that is the core fundamental truth of Christianity. And that's something we need to hold to with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. Whenever I would, had left the ministry, it was due to the work of uh, a group of individuals uh, known as the Jesus Seminar. I don't, you've probably heard of this group. Uh, they've, they've written a lot. In fact, uh, most of their guys are uh, normally on the History Channel. John Dominic Croson is one of them. Marcus Borg is another one of them. Robert Funk is uh, one, uh, just some of the more popular names. They, they, did a, they did this little thing, this, this little presentation in the late 90s where they looked through the Gospels. They looked through the Gospels, all the teachings of Jesus, and, and they, uh, they, they tried to determine how accurate the teachings were. And for the verses that were, they believed to be absolutely of Jesus, they would uh, write out those verses in red. For the verses they thought were 75% sure that they're probably Jesus's, they would write them out in pink. They had a little color code system. For the, for the words that they thought were probably not Jesus, maybe his message some, they would write them out in gray. But for the verses they thought were absolutely not of Jesus, they would write it out in black. And you know what they came to, to the conclusion? They came to the conclusion that only 25% of the Gospels were actually the words of Jesus. And that shook me to the core. But you see, at the time, I hadn't been trained in the Bible that much, in apologetics and, and all of these different things. And that's when I read the book by Josh McDowell that it shook me to my core because these gospels, these teachings were accepted by people who were there to see it. It was accepted by people who were trained by the individuals who actually saw Jesus and they quoted and accepted as true all of the teachings of Jesus through the four gospels. So I came to a crossroads where I asked myself this question. Am I going to trust the eyewitness testimony of the individuals who actually saw Jesus? Or am I going to trust the skepticism of individuals separated from Jesus by 2,000 years? Hmm. <laughs> I came to the conclusion myself that the Bible is absolutely the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, that it is God's Word given to us. And beloved, that means that we should hold on to the word of God. We should hold on to the truths that it gives to us. That it is absolutely true because, not because we wish it to be, but because it is the revelation of God given to us. It is outside of Jesus Christ and outside of salvation, this is one of the greatest gifts that God has given humanity. If ever there has been a life manual for life and for how to live for eternity, it's found in this book. And beloved, let me tell you this. There are many parts of the world that don't have a copy of God's Word. Whenever they're distributed, man, they go after it like it's potato cakes or something like that. They go after it like something else. If you have a copy of God's Word, cherish it. 
Make sure you read it. Make sure you're in it each and every day having devotions because this is God's word as given to you, a gift to you. So cherish it. Read it every day and memorize it. Make it a part of you. Uh, Make it a part of your life because this is the gift of God given to us. And most certainly, beloved, if we as Huntsville Baptist Church are going to succeed in our mission for Jesus Christ, we must adhere and abide by the truths given to us in this book. Amen? If we're going to succeed, we must be found true to be in God's Word. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just say, we've talked a lot about God's Word. But the most important truth given in God's Holy Word is this, that God loves you with an everlasting love, and He wants to see you in heaven with Him. The most wonderful truth of all found in the text of God's word is that he has given his son Jesus to give you life and so that you can have it more abundantly. Jesus said to us, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Beloved, we have the truth of Jesus as found in the word of God. The Holy Spirit, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, he may be knocking on your heart's door telling you, I love you and I want to see you in my heaven. If you're here today and you've never received him, why don't you come down and receive him before it's eternally too late? Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the empowerment we find in your word. We thank you for giving us a true word. We thank you for giving us an inspired word, an infallible word, and an inerrant word. We thank you, Lord, most of all for Jesus for sending him to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you for life and that we can have it abundantly through you. Lord, have your will and your way in this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers, including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.